0: change means the UK will not send suspected criminals to Hong Kong to face justice, and nor can the UK ask Hong Kong to send any suspected criminals to face justice back in the UK. The Foreign Secretary announced the change is immediate and indefinite. It's a move other Five Eyes security partners, Canada and Australia, have already made, and the US is expected to do so too. He's also announced the UK will no longer export arms to Hong Kong, an embargo which has applied to mainland China for decades. Mr. Rabb says that also includes equipment which could be used for internal repression, like smoke grenades and shackles. Stuart Smith. London. Researchers at Oxford University say they've made big progress developing a possible vaccine against COVID-19. In trials, the vaccine appeared to be safe and effective. Richard Horton is the editor-in-chief of The Lancet. The Oxford COVID-19 vaccine um, was studied in over a 1,000 individuals uh, across five sites in the united kingdom and it's been found to be safe well tolerated and induces i would say a strong immune reaction so now we should go forward to what we call phase three clinical trials. Meanwhile, here in Washington, President Trump hailing the latest vaccine research says he's planning to bring back his nightly coronavirus press briefings as soon as Tuesday. We had very successful briefings. I was doing them and uh, we had a lot of people watching, record numbers watching. In the history of cable television, television, there's never been anything like it. And uh, so I think we'll start that probably starting tomorrow. The president also defended the use of federal law enforcement to crack down on anti-racism protesters in Portland, Oregon, saying Democrat-led cities are worse than Afghanistan. From FSN's Washington bureau, Giles Gibson reports. The mayor of Portland, Oregon is demanding federal law enforcement leave his city, saying the officers are sharply escalating the situation. Speaking in the Oval Office, though, President Trump defended their presence. This is worse than Afghanistan, by far. This is worse than anything anyone's ever seen. And you know what? If Biden got in, that would be true for the country. The whole country would go to hell. The state of Oregon is suing the federal agencies involved, accusing them of unlawfully detaining protesters. Giles Gibson, Washington. One other headline, Iran has executed a man who was convicted of spying for the US and Israel. He was a former translator arrested about two years ago. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacey on the Right with your host, Stacey Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife and mom, righteously American.
1: Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for being with us today, and thanks for everybody's uh, outstanding response to last week's podcast. I want to say thanks, and also, don't forget to head over to familyvisionmedia.org, where you can find our first PDF guide, How to Speak to Your College-Aid Students About Politics. Um, the, The subtitle of it is, Help, My College Kid Came Home Indoctrinated. And have some resources on there for you. You just type your email in, and the download comes straight to your email box. And you can download it, and you can print it off and share it with friends. You can email it to people. You can do whatever you feel like is the awesome thing to do with it because it's great information. And it'll really help you out in the quest that we're all on to try to bring truth to our kids and our family members. And so speaking of that, today on the show, we're going to be discussing how to deal with Black Lives Matter systemic racism as a Christian. And I know for most of us, if you're already Christian worldview, if you already possess that, you already know what has to happen here. But maybe you don't know how to explain it to someone else. And so that's what we're going to do today is is unpack that. We're also going to delve into a voter outreach program called Jonathan Project, Um, At the close of the show, we'll go over that information. You'll find the link in the show notes at uh, listen.stacyontheright.com, And that's where you can uh, click that link and share that as well. It's an effort to get evangelical Christians out to vote. We don't vote enough. We don't vote in significant numbers enough. We need to be activated. So that's what that's about. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, So I want to start off with... In all of these conversations, there's a, there's a way for us to be rooted and grounded before we even dive into the conversation, and that is by thinking about how the Lord instructs us to deal with our past, our present, and our future. So Psalm 139.5 says, Lord, you've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. So that's pretty awesome. Like, you've got to be super excited when you hear that God is going to basically protect you from the harm of your past. And that's any past. It's not just the past that you feel like you can't handle. It's all of the past. And what's so important about that is that when we're talking about the past, that includes the hurts and harms and dangers and the memories and stuff that's been done to us. So that could be abuse. It could be self-harm. It could be um, circumstances like poverty or, uh, you know, some people have come to America and they had like refugee status, things like that. Anything in your past that when you think of it as a memory, it's harmful. it It still hurts. That's what Jesus went to the cross for, for not just all of our sins, but all of our hurts, all of the past, everything that has been allowed into our lives for whatever purpose it's to protect us and help us to be able to move forward. So 1 Corinthians 3:22 through 23 says all things belong to you whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come all things belong to you and you belong to Christ. So we can lean on him to handle those difficult circumstances that are in our past. Now that being said, you're listening to this and you're a Christian and you're like, you know, I don't support Black Lives Matter. and I don't blame you. And you're trying to figure out how to articulate that to your Christian brothers and sisters who, honestly, you may be experiencing a lot of pushback in this area because there are a number of pastors across the country. I know here in this area it's happening where they're spending a significant amount of time in the pulpit, not talking about the gospel not training up the flock or teaching the flock about obedience or perseverance or anything that comes out of scripture. They're just having people who are experts at talking about race, come into the pulpit and sit up and talk about how everybody who's white, if you have white skin, you're a racist. And if you don't have white skin, you're a victim of that racism. And that white people need to atone, even if they've not done racial things. If they're not personally guilty, they are guilty because of their skin. And therefore, they owe something to the greater minority population that they may or may not be interacting with. I mean, we don't know the circumstances of every person's life, right? So how are we supposed to deal with all of this? How do we deal with it and not just deal with it like, you know, because let's face it, I'm guilty of this. I'm the primary guilty person. I deal with you. Like if I get to a place where I'm completely done with you, when I deal with you, you're going to know it. You're going to know I'm done with you. You're going to know I'm not dealing with you in love. I'm just dealing with you to get you out of my face because I'm just tired of looking at you and listening to you and having to deal with whatever it is that you're dishing out. And why people are getting there. Okay, if they're not already there, they're like a hair's breadth away from being there. They're sick of hearing about racism. They're sick of hearing. I know if I'm sick about it and I'm black, I'm sick of hearing about it. Then what must white people be thinking since they're the ones who are supposed to be just so racist, there's just nothing that can be done for them. So as Christians, we are not supposed to get to a place where we're just dealing with people out of our we're just sick of them and we're dealing with them to get them out of our face. That's not that's not being loving. But that is where we go. When you're frustrated and you've had enough, that's where you go. We're human beings after all. So let's get into this. I want to ask you a question. And this should be the primary driver behind what we do surrounding not just racism, but any of the sins that we deal with that we are all committing and we need forgiveness for. And that is, what does God say about this? What does God say about your life and whether or not it matters? What does God say about the atonement for sin? God created us. He wrote the Bible, he sent his son in the world to suffer and die on behalf of us. His son rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. I mean, you guys know this. This This is what God has done for us. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us in the absence of Jesus Christ. So the perspective that we should care most about is that of our Lord and Savior, and that's what we're going to examine today. The greatest commandment ever given to us as human beings is in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-six 36 through 40, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we know racism isn't loving, but neither is accusing people of racism simply because of the color of their skin. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, if you're listening because you want somebody to stroke your Black Lives Matter jacket, you ain't, you ain't in the right spot. Let's 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 dig into this, okay? So what does this look like? Who's your neighbor? None of us can do this perfectly. None of us can do anything perfectly. The only perfect one, Jesus Christ, so we're not him, so we're not going to be perfect. But what we can do is strive to be the best that we can in this area with the help of the Holy Spirit. So all that is required is that we basically say, I do it. So perfection isn't required. What's required is that you say, I understand I'm to love my neighbor, and so I will. And when you fail, you say, okay, I failed there, Lord, please forgive me. And then you start back up again. So it's a a never-ending quest to love your neighbor. And sometimes you're going to hit it and you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, this feels so good. And you're going to know that you're in that zone of loving your neighbor. And you're going to feel that that it's like a little perfection. It's like a little warm halo of awesomeness, a glowing light, everything. It's just beautiful. You're going to know you're in that zone. And other times you're going to know you missed the mark. But you're going to say, and so I will continue. I will still love my neighbor. And you're going to go ahead and try it again. Now... The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit did this before creation perfectly. It's why we were created, and it is why we know we will be able to do it once we are in our perfected, created bodies, and on the other side of this, we will be able to love perfectly. But until then, we just we just continue to do it. So then there's also a checklist that's attached to the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Call the Ten Commandments. Shocker! So you worship God alone. You don't love idols. You don't take or wear God's name in vain. You honor the Sabbath. You honor your parents. You don't steal. You don't commit adultery. You don't murder. Okay? You don't covet. You don't lie. And so it makes you think, well, what are the idols? What is coveting? And is anybody actually remembering who God says he is? The one who brought Israel out of the house of bondage and slavery. So coveting is White people have privilege. White people in this country are the ones who they have everything. They set up all the systems for themselves, and there's no way we can ever surpass that unless we take away their privilege, unless we redistribute their income and their power. That's coveting. It's also envy, and it's wrong, and no good thing can come of it. In the short term, you may be able to strip someone of their power, take their job, de-platform them, eliminate their income, but you will never receive the gains of that. The Bible talks about how the wealth of the, the wicked will come into the hands of the godly. Well, if you're using envy and covetousness to take something from someone that they earned, under the guise of redistribution or equalizing privilege or taking away privilege and and you're not going to, that's not coming to you. You may be standing there and you may be waiting, but it's not coming to you because that is not what God's word says. It's not how we're supposed to do things. It's not how we get things done. It's not justice. So also in addition to that, is this need that so the the it's the unspoken thing that i am I'm, I'm talking to you about covening and envying and lying and all kinds of evil things that are going on when you hear people talking about redistribution of wealth and privilege and all of that but you know what it is doing primarily silently it's a big huge fist in the air towards god You can't fix my problems. You can't help me. I know you created the sun and the stars and everything that I see, every bit of air that I breathe. I know that you created me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You created me to be something for you, the hands and feet of Christ in some area of this world. But I'm ignoring your power and your creative ability. I'm ignoring that you are the alpha and the omega. I'm ignoring that you're the beginning and the end and that you control all things through the power of your word that everything that exists comes into being at the sound of your word. I'm ignoring all of that, and I'm going to place the blame for anything that's going on in my life that I don't like. Instead of taking responsibility over my decisions, I'm going to place it squarely on the shoulders of that white person over there because she's wearing, you know, a pair of $800 shoes, and I know she drove here in a luxury vehicle, and she lives in, you know, a house in the suburbs, and I don't. Uh, That's not me personally, obviously. I'm giving you an example. Do you hear me? If you're going to ignore God and act as if he has no say, no, no, he, can, he cannot work on your behalf. He can do anything for you. Then are you shocked that you're resorting to painting Black Lives Matter on the asphalt in front of Trump Tower, which gives you nothing? It doesn't create jobs. It doesn't create power or wealth. It does not do anything. It's not even annoying to the people who don't agree with you that it's painted there beyond when they're looking at it. So that's the big deal here. Yeah, coveting is wrong. Envy is wrong. Canceling people and taking their livelihood away for their opinions is wrong. But what's more wrong than that is you ignoring and even saying openly in your heart and to everyone publicly that God is not real to you. Even though you're in church on Sunday and you're doing the triangle clap and, you know, you're stomping and you got the whole thing going on and you look awesome. But all during the week, even on the way home in the car, you're looking around. uh, They have a nice look. That's their second new car. That's oh, my goodness. They're doing this and that. Oh, they just bought a house. Oh, they're you're envying and you're coveting and you're saying, Lord, you can't help me. Lord, why don't I have anything like but the answer is choices, decisions you've made or simply you haven't asked. The Bible says, "We have not because we ask not." Have you thought about that? We serve a God who he will literally answer every prayer. To the point where you're you're like, "Wow, I prayed for this and you're getting it and thinking, can I even handle it? Yes, you can handle it because he wouldn't give it to you if you couldn't, but you don't. My my recommendation is pray and ask, but don't ask if you're not prepared to receive, because God will answer. He will pour out a blessing on you. And it, it says in the Bible, He'll pour out a blessing that's it's so great you can't even receive it. He will. You will be literally straining under the weight of your own blessings. He'll do it. They'll chase you down and overtake you. The Bible says so. It's true. It's real. So there are countless examples of injustice in the Old Testament. I'm moving on to the next subject here because I could go on and on and on about the previous one. I, it's very close to my heart because I know in my heart of hearts that it's so easy to look at somebody and say, oh, my goodness, they are so and then dot, dot, dot. And then you just start wanting what they have or what they're doing and you are in it. And you have to stop yourself. To, I take that thought captive. I'm not going to do it. So we're all prone to it. It's not the issue of us being prone to it. It's that we're allowing it. As Christians, we are seeing our sisters and brothers coveting. And we're not saying, look, you, you need to stop coveting. You need to stop wishing that that person would die so you can have what they have. So issue number three. There are countless examples of injustice in the Old Testament. I'm just going to give you a few. You can go to Exodus 2, where the Hebrew people were enslaved by the Egyptians and consigned to hard labor. Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew man and took justice into his own hands, which then resulted in everybody around him, even the people he was trying to defend, condemning him, and he decided to leave Egypt. And he was a member of the royal family. Even though it was through adoption, he had the rights and privileges of a member of the royal family. But he had to go because he committed a bad act by killing someone, and he couldn't stand it. So then there's Genesis 39. You have Joseph. He's in Potiphar's house, and he's serving dutifully. He was trusted. He was working to the best of his ability. And Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce him. He didn't want to go there, and so she had him sent to prison. He was there for a very long time. This was a second injustice visited upon him, obviously, because he wouldn't have even been in Egypt if his brothers hadn't first hidden him away in a, in a, a hole in the ground and then sold him. They literally hated him so much, they envied him so much, that they wanted him out of their family. Now, God used their actions to save the entire nation and to prevent them from starving to death and saved his family specifically, but look at what he went through. Look at the injustice. So you have then um, 1 Samuel 24 and 2 Samuel 1 where Saul is pursuing David, trying to kill him, and David responds by not killing Saul when he has the chance. Saul and his men are asleep in a, in a, in a cave, and David goes in and he literally, he's, he's literally got his enemy in his, the palm of his hand. And he decides not to touch him because he says, you won't touch God's anointed. In other words, he respected the office of the king so much that even though the king himself was behaving abominably and wanted to kill him, he wouldn't touch a hair on his head. He wouldn't even, he wouldn't do anything to him because he said, I, this is the king. He is God's anointed and I don't dare touch him. Do we have that attitude? Because that person you're looking at and thinking that white person has too much. They have more than they should. You're murdering them in your heart. That person is one of God's creations and they have what they have because God allowed it or he blessed them with it. They earned it. They got it. Maybe Maybe they inherited it. However they got it, it's theirs and you have no right to touch it or them. If we studied our word, we would know this. So then you have Jonah, chapter 1. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. We all know the story. Jonah suspects this heathen, pagan, violent, warmongering city will repent, and he doesn't want Israel's sworn enemy to actually repent and earn God's favor, especially since scores of prophets have been telling Israel to repent, and they'd only kill the prophets. So what actually happens to Jonah because he can't stand the Ninevites? Now, if you want to have a deeper understanding of this, you can actually go to Daniel 1. Nineveh is part of the Babylonian Empire. They capture Israel. They don't kill them. So why do you think they saved Daniel and other Israelites and let them grow up in the palace? Was it because Jonah finally obeyed, didn't take justice to the bad Ninevites into his own hands? Many converted, and then they were nice to the faithful Israelites, bringing God's followers into Babylon to be cared for? Do you see how far-reaching our obedience can be? Obedience today can literally change history and create space for lives to be saved long past the end of your own life. That's what obedience is about. So then we can look at the New Testament because God's not done teaching us about injustice. He's so good at making sure he covers every single base. Matthew 5, 1 through 12, these are the Beatitudes, But you have to look at the last one in particular. Think for a second what these words might have meant to Jesus when the Pharisees were plotting to stone him, questioning him, challenging him at every turn, eventually crucifying him. You can go to Hebrews 4.15, which says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So was Jesus tempted to fight back against the Pharisees, Sadducees, and priests who were constantly and unjustly trying to undermine him? Well, I mean, the natural response of the all-powerful, all-knowing God in human flesh is that he simply could have even ever so slightly moved his eyebrow, just thought about it, no facial movement needed, and instantly wiped them from existence. He could have set them on fire. He could have done almost anything to them, but he did not. He simply allowed them to persecute him, even though he is God, capable of doing anything. So not only does Jesus understand our propensity to covet and our desire for justice and the it just grates on our very soul when we see injustice and we see people being mistreated or when we ourselves are mistreated by someone that in our mind is beneath us because of whatever reason, whatever good reason you can think of that the person who's mistreating you is actually, you know, less than a worm. And God understands that about us, which is why we can take it to him and we don't have to be flowery and, you know, Lord, in the spirit of no, you can just say, Father, please fix it. This person is on my last nerve. This person is persecuting me. This person won't leave me alone. This person hates me. Lord, you're my redeemer. You're my shelter, my El Shaddai, my El Rafi, my Jehovah Jireh. Protect me, heal me, get me out of this thing. That's prayer too. And so, you know, I I love to pray in all different manners, but I have gone to the Lord in that same Spirit As well, instead of, you know, it's not even a heavenly father. It's just, Lord, what is going on here? I can't take this. I can't take this. And he is always right there responding even to that, which you might think, wow, that sounds a little, he's my father. Have you not had one of your children come to you and say, I can't take it. You Have you not heard one of them screaming and you run around the corner and they're just losing it and you just want to figure out what's going on so you can fix it. You don't care that they didn't address you. Hello, mother. I'm having a problem. No, you're there. You're trying. You're in the midst of it. You're instantly in the same emotion they're in. You want to fix the problem. That's our father in heaven. That's who he is. Because Jesus paid it all and so we get to approach him co-heirs with Christ in the body. We are the body of Christ. We are whatever is lacking within us, God is ready and able to make that right. So <laughs> no movement can overcome or replace the actual power of a holy God who is intimately interested in everything about you from your hair and how many of them you have on your head, to your the last time you maybe you elbowed something too hard and your elbow's been hurting for a week and you haven't been praying about it. Child, pray over that elbow so the Lord can take that pain away so you can get back to doing what you need to do. He cares about your elbow. Let him fix it. So, how about Romans five? And we're getting close to the end here. You got uh, this type of suffering, racism. How is it different? from other sufferings and therefore exempt from being an opportunity to develop patience, perseverance, and hope. So he never allows anything into our lives that we can't bear. And allowing a circumstance to develop patience and perseverance and hope in you doesn't mean that the person gets away with what they're doing. No one gets away with anything. If you choose not to fall into covetousness or vengeance, you will see at some point that God is just and he always repays. And when I say he always repays, the unrepented sin is repaid. But if you've repented, it comes under the blood. You know, we as children of Christ. But that doesn't mean you don't have consequences. And and that's the scariest part, that we can be forgiven but still have to suffer the consequences of our actions, which is why we should fear the Lord and obey. But we're not perfect and we never get fully all that we deserve as Christians because Jesus paid it all. You see? So, My question for you is, can you find other passages, oh my goodness, can you find other passages in the Bible that show how Jesus responded to the unfair treatment that he received or passages that show how he recommends that we treat others? And a few more questions for you. What role does forgiveness play in all of this? What does the Bible say about forgiveness? Think about the Lord's Prayer and what it says about forgiveness. And how possibly could those of us with the permanent tan move out of a victim mentality and into being an agent of reconciliation? How could we go about repairing the breach instead of widening it and making it worse? So I just want you to think about all of that. You can find all of those instances in the Bible. If you don't feel like looking like flipping through your Bible, you can just go online and type it into your search engine and read all of the different passages that I mentioned. And you can then maybe read them with a group of people who are are that you know this is something that they're really passionate about, Black Lives Matter. Because of course Black Lives Matter, but it's the it's the heart. The hearts are what matter. Because if you give your heart to Jesus, he's going to make all things right. And whatever doesn't get fixed in the now, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience where, you know, I've been wronged before. I've seen the person who has wronged me go on to do fantastic things and really be successful. And there's nothing that I could do about it. And. When I let go of the hurt and the pain and the recrimination and said, Lord, this is yours. I received the healing for it. And I forgive that person. I was able to move on. And I don't know what the Lord has done in response to what they did. And and I don't care. Now it's not easy. If you've just recently been hurt, then you're, you know, you, you're just not going to, Oh, I'm just going to let this go. There's a process you can go through that you must go through. You have to, acknowledge all of the hurt that you experienced that that person did and describe it. You tell God about it and then you forgive that person and you give all of it to God and you leave it there and you walk on in forgiveness and freedom and the Lord deals with it. And I can tell you, we think we know how to get somebody back. We know how to get them. But don't you think the God who created the universe and you and me and everything in it that made everything that we are able to create possible through science and physics and everything else that he would know how to repay. He says in the word vengeance is mine. I will repay. I don't want to go up against that buzzsaw. That's not something I'm interested in. I don't want him repaying me for the, for my wrongs. I want to be forgiven. And if we don't forgive, we can't be forgiven. So if you're carrying around a big cudgel of unforgiveness, because of slavery and this it was all paid the the sin debt for slavery was paid in the civil war it was the uh the blood that was spilled in the civil war when almost 800,000 people died in this country fighting over states rights and and slavery so I hope that helps I hope it helps you To talk about this and I hope it helps to reorient the conversation away from painting murals and burning things down and fighting each other and towards Jesus Christ. Because in the end, the only unity we will ever experience is within the body of Jesus Christ. Outside of the body, there is chaos and war and famine and, and hurt and pain and every ill. Inside the body of Christ is unity and singularity of purpose because we're serving God. So I'm going to quickly go over the Jonathan Project with you. It's jonathanproject.org. You'll find the link in the show notes for today's program. And it's all about registering Christian voters. They talk about the percentage of midterm voters identified as Protestant declining from 55% in 2010 to 53% in 2014 and 47% in 2018, which means less than a majority. This trend is reversible if churches accept the challenge to register Christian voters. In 2018 midterm elections, only 26% of voters identified as evangelical and only 35% identified as conservative Christian. Now, we can grow the participation of Christian voters if we embrace the importance of expressing our faith and values at the polls. So this isn't a partisan action. It's an action that has to do with biblical worldview and Christianity. So since its beginnings in 2016, the Jonathan Project has been a friend to pastors and churches encouraging Christian voters to express their faith and values and we value free small group materials and sermon starters and train. they actually provide them. And they train churches and volunteers to register voters and get them to the polls. So maybe you want to join in this effort. Instead of us arguing about which lives matter, maybe we could get together and agree that our country needs some new leadership. And especially at the local level, especially at levels that um, – you know, we, we need good leadership. We need people at the local level where these police departments are managed who are wise and who understand managing people and who understand resources and who understand law and order. We need people who understand God's word at the local level. So registering people to vote for those kinds of candidates sounds like a much better action than painting murals or painting over them or arguing about whose lives matter. I hope today's show was helpful, and um, I just encourage you to head over to familyvisionmedia.org. That's the host for the Stacy on the Right show podcast now. We're so glad to be there, and I'm so glad to be working as their communications director and producing the guides that we now have one of that you can get at the website. Um, Have a fantastic night. I'm hoping that out of this, the church will rise up and begin to be very active and begin to really be an agent of change in America. But that only happens if we actually do something. So uh, have a great evening.